Welcome back, guys, to the JPS Education Portal podcast. You're here with myself, Jacob, McKenzie, and Luke. Welcome, guys. Good day, everyone. Hello, everybody. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about overcoming barriers within your training and nutrition. I think uh, these two guys are very well versed with this topic and uh, at least at the moment, from my understanding, experience some barriers or challenges of themselves. Mac is uh, rehabbing an injury at the moment. Luke's got a sick child. So very much uh, something that even fitness professionals aren't exempt from. We all struggle at certain points in time with various challenges when it comes to progressing and making gains. So I thought I'd first kick it off with what a barrier actually is, because I think it's something that we need to discuss and define. So I'm going to hand it over to Luke and see what his thoughts are here. So Luke, how would we define a barrier? Well, I think we have this idea of, I suppose, what's quote unquote optimal for our training or our nutrition, the thing that we would really like to do, uh, you know, but ultimately there are going to be some limitations to what we can do over time. You might have an injury, you might have illness, you might have a change in your schedule, unexpected life events. These kinds of things can all get in the way of, you know, ultimately what our what our plan is. You know, uh, just to kind of give a bit of an overview how I think most people approach their training and nutrition is from a really top-down perspective, which basically means we try and plan a lot of stuff ahead of time, put in a lot of structure, and we try and predict what's going to happen. And ultimately, no plan survives contact with the enemy or to put it as Mike Tyson says that everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So, you know, stuff's going to happen and we need to be able to kind of roll with that and, you know, to maintain our consistency and stuff long-term and also like our mental health. So for me, a barrier, uh, maybe you guys have a bit of a different idea. You can add some nuance to this, but for me, a barrier is really just a, a sort of deviation from like our optimal plan that we would really hope to to adhere to in ideal circumstances yeah like that mac yeah i think that was really well said luke and the only thing i would add to it is add on top of it is when we do encounter barriers with clients or even with ourselves and certain things that we want to do we are basically faced with a decision where it's like do we try and overcome that barrier or do we accept that barrier and i think more often than not sometimes it's actually a better idea to accept the barrier and manage what you can do within your circumstances like there are different types of barriers whether it's perceived but i think that whole idea of perceived versus actual barrier at the end of the day a client's perception is what i guess supersedes all else so even though something is perceived we should still respect that and have that sort of conversation that open collaborative conversation with them um, with reference to things like what's important to them, um, other contextual factors throughout their life to determine, okay, do we try and find a solution to this or do we look at maybe managing it the best we can and, and accepting that it's a, it's going to be steps away from optimal? Yeah, I like that. And I guess one of the most I don't know, important concepts, ideas that I sort of stumbled across over the years was, as Luke sort of mentioned, this notion that we are always striving for optimal and then anything below that is basically um you know what we're doing at the moment and we start somewhere below what is theoretically optimal and over time we try to change various things and get it closer and closer to what we think is optimal and what is optimal can actually change and what is i guess the 
the difference between what you're doing now and optimal basically is what is achievable and what you're currently capable of doing within the capacity that you have. Um, you know, whether it's the, you know, we use the cone B model, you know, your capabilities, opportunities, motivation, stuff like that. So I think when it comes to barriers, we need to always realize that if we're striving for optimal and the barrier is impeding our ability to execute certain behaviors, tasks that are quote unquote optimal, um, do we have to, as you said, Mac, um, you know, find a way to work around that to get closer to optimal or do we have to accept that situation for what it is and work with what we have and and realize that optimal is not something that we are able to achieve or attain at this point? And I think that's going to, I guess, set the foundation for what we talk about next. So I mentioned, or you mentioned, Mac, um, you know, perceived versus actual barriers. And I do agree with you that a perceived barrier is an actual barrier. It's like similar to the placebo effect. It's, you know, if somebody perceives something is real, um, you know, for all intents and purposes in their mind and life, it can be real. But there are obviously barriers which are much more objective, such as if somebody has geographical barriers where they can't access the gym or they have Mm -hmm. financial barriers where they can't afford to buy, you know, certain foods and eat a high protein diet, for example, or, uh, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, in a very objective sense, then there are these more perceived barriers, which are, um, you know, potentially, you know, the fear of failure, you know, lack of clarity around their goals. Um, you know, they might think that they don't have willpower, various things like this. Luke, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about how these two things would be or should be approached differently. Um, and if these perceived barriers are worth working through as opposed to just accepting and working with what we have, if that makes sense. Yeah, look, I think we always want to work with with what we've got to to some extent, right? Like it's like better to do something than nothing, if that makes sense. But um, the the idea that I always come back to is if we can strive for principles, then we can kind of let that other stuff fall where it may, if that makes sense. The, the idea of like a, um, a sort of more perceived barrier, for example, you can, you can easily work around that by, uh, you know, interfacing with the client and, and talking to them about their beliefs and, and where they're at and meeting them where they're at. The more, I suppose, um, set in stone stuff like a geographical location or a financial situation, these are things that can still you can still kind of work around it when it comes to applying principles, you know, maybe you, you can't do uh, like a specific meal plan won't work if someone can't afford to buy organic high quality protein straight from a farmer or whatever it is. But the general principle of like getting in enough protein can still be achieved if you're using cheaper sources like lentils or something like that, as an example, you know, so I think if you have the principles in place, then you can kind of find a way around a lot of the the barriers. Uh, the the idea of like a perceived barrier, as I mentioned, is probably not something that you can necessarily just go in and be like, hey, your idea is wrong. Like, let's just change that by telling you something different. It really is something where you have to come in and meet the client or even yourself where you're at, you know what I mean? Um, but as, as part of our role as a, as a coach uh, or even when we're, interacting with ourselves or, or talking to ourselves, I think it's important to sort of explore the, the mindset and what our um, perceived uh, barriers are for sure. And we can do that through things like questioning our values through uh, 
you know, looking back at our, our training history and things like this um, to see how those beliefs are formed. I think that can be a really helpful way of doing things. So uh, I like to sort of think about things a little bit when I'm, when I'm setting goals and stuff, I like to think of it a bit like, okay, we have our attributes, which tend to be fairly set in stone, things like your genetics or your training history or whatever. You, you can't really do so much to change that. So you do need to work around that to some extent, but then the stuff that we can really get in and do a lot with uh, our circumstances. So these would be things like, okay, what's my, what's my job like? Am I currently not sleeping very well because my kid is sick? Am I currently not eating very well because I'm on the road traveling? These circumstances can be much more changeable and that provides us a bit more of an opportunity to shift around those, those sort of obstacles. So that's the way that I like to sort of think about it a bit. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have anything else to add to that. Yeah, I like that, Mac. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, I think if we think about like the different types of barriers that might exist, so we again refer to the Combi model. If if a client has, if you as a coach think that a client has the opportunity to do something, but they perceive that they don't, a coach can come in and expose an opportunity that maybe the client didn't think they had. So, for example, a client might think that they don't have the time, which is a component of opportunity. They might have not have the time to do meal prep, but they their perception of meal prep might be elaborate chicken roast things put in Tupperware containers, whereas a coach could come in and say, well, actually, you don't have the opportunity to do that. That's why you're not doing it. You don't have the time. But do you have the time to like make a sandwich? That's a zero cook option. So I think that's a role of a coach, but at the same time, you can't come in and use your writing reflex, which is, Hey, Oh, you don't have time to cook the chicken roast on a Sunday and put in the container, the elaborate meals. Oh, no worries. Here's the solution. Just make a sandwich. Like you can't just be like, here's a solution. You want to sort of elicit their thoughts. You know, is this something you want to address? Um, are you interested in looking at alternative options? Do you have any ideas? They might have the idea of a sandwich themselves. If they don't, they'll probably say, no, I don't have any ideas. Do you have any? And then they've basically given you permission to provide. And it's that illicit provide, illicit thing. Um, I also like really like what Luke said there about general principles. And I think if someone has limited capability and opportunity or even motivation, you want to try and squeeze as much juice out of the lemon by getting the most bang for your buck. And you're going to get, you're going to get the most bang for your buck if you focus on principles rather than specific behaviors or specific meals or specific meal timings or specific, I don't know, supplement protocols or whatever you want to talk about. If you focus on general principles like consume protein with each main meal, <laughs> factors like whether you had, you know, lean beef mince, salmon, lentils, or chicken breast for dinner, they're, they're, they're unimportant factors. So this is going to give the client an ability to pivot around barriers that they do encounter and still be on the same trajectory towards their goals rather than it being a barrier that stops them from moving forwards or maybe even causes a degree of regression. I really like the example uh, that you gave with somebody not thinking they have enough time um, to, to meal prep and cook all these elaborate meals, but they actually have time to do some less quote unquote optimal version of meal prep. Right. And I think that sort of hits the nail on the head with this perceived barrier, right? They have the perception that they don't have enough time because their idea of what they have to do is so far away from their current 
opportunities, capabilities, and level of motivation, for example, um, that there's this huge mismatch um, that's causing that barrier to be perceived in their mind, where in fact, they should be aiming for something a little bit further from optimal, for example, um, where they're just having a zero, um, you know, what do you call a Mac? A zero cook meal. Zero cook meal. Um, that's well within, uh, you know, I guess it's kind of like task complexity. Like it's within their um, you know, abilities for where they're at right now. And I think that's where they, a lot of these perceived barriers come from is this idea that they have to do something that is so far beyond what somebody is actually capable of doing right now that they have various reasons for that, whether it's time, whether it's motivation, whether it's, um, you know, access to, you know, certain information or reading, ed- educate themselves, whatever it is. I think that's where a lot of these, um, you know, barriers are actually um, perceived in people's minds is because they're not actually looking at what am I doing now and how can I just improve one or two things just a little bit. There's always this idea that we have to make these very drastic, um, you know, large sweeping changes to our current behaviors to achieve results. And I think that's where most people fall into the trap of having obstacles, whether it's nutrition, training, is because they're just aiming for something that's well without, well out of their reach. Sorry, I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. One thing that I really like to do um, to kind of get around some of that is to think about like, a, so I use a goal setting hierarchy with my clients where we have uh, what's called a superordinate goal. I suppose this is this is really quite equivalent to like your personal value. So what's the um, the sort of ideal version of yourself that you imagine? So it could be something, it's usually quite vague, something like be healthy. So you could say, okay, I want to be healthy. Uh, and then you kind of define what be healthy means. So what are all the components of that? It might be like, you know, uh, be in good physical shape, like eat a healthy diet, get plenty of sleep, uh, be social. All these things are components that I consider a component of being healthy for myself. And then you can break that down into specific behaviors. And so the key for that, so that might be like, okay, so to be in good physical shape, I need to go to the gym three times a week. Uh, I need to eat protein with every meal. I need to eat vegetables with every meal, whatever it is. Now, the key with that is that if you can't do some of those things, there are other opportunities to contribute to that ultimate ideal version of yourself. If I'm unable to train because I'm injured or because I'm on holiday and there isn't access to a gym, well, there are other ways that I can contribute to my be healthy version of myself. I can be social. I can maybe still have those vegetables with every meal. And so I think that that, that sort of general layout then, again, it's moving away from the very specific, like I have to eat chicken bread, like, you know, 500 grams of chicken breast every day to uh, something that can that can be quite flexible and can still contribute to that ultimate ideal version of yourself. But it's, it's important that you actually go through that exercise and recognize what those things are for you so that you're not taking on other, per, other people's ideals of, of what uh, an in-shape person does or whatever it is. And, and I've found with my clients, it just gives them so many more opportunities to contribute to their overall goals. Uh, so it's been quite freeing in that, in that sense. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I think that's where very basic exercises when you work with a client or even yourself is just to take inventory of your current behaviors. And, you know, whether it's, well, I'm drinking alcohol three to five you know times per week, or I'm only sleeping five, six hours. I'm doing these behaviors really well. I'm getting enough protein, but 
probably overeating at night and you can actually take stock and have a look at, okay, I just need to improve these things, you know, and adjust them towards your, you know, desired, uh, you know, behaviors might not be optimal, but it's, it, you know, as Luke said, very much, um, you know, based on principles of like, you know, sleeping enough, getting enough protein in, minimizing alcohol intake, and you have that foundation of your current, you know, performance level within, you know, a certain behavior, and you can improve from there as opposed to looking at what is optimal or, you know, what you perceive to be ideal based on somebody else's, um, you know, performance level with their training, nutrition, and, you know, making that comparison, which is probably just unrealistic because you're not in the same position. Exactly. I think um, a good question to ask is what is optimal and who is optimal for? Personally, for me as a coach, one of the nicest feelings that I get is when a client realizes that they their optimal is not the optimal that they had in their mind, the optimal that they never seemingly can adhere to for any meaningful amount of time. And when people realize that that's actually not what they want and what's optimal for them is actually within reach and they can still achieve what they want, they're like, crap, I've been worrying about all of these things. I've been stressing and making my life really shit in some ways and I didn't need to do it. And it's such an empowering feeling for them. And as a coach, I get such a great feeling uh, and feedback from that, that too. So I think there's a lot of importance in getting to know your clients right from the get go, you know, putting in that time, doing the video consults um, rather than just doing it over email, because I personally think that, you know, just having that discussion and, and going through, the goal hierarchy. What is their five whys? Going through that, getting to their their anchor goal or their superordinate goal, and then attaching the anchor, the um, the intermediates, and then coming up with an action plan. I think is um one way to move towards a client realizing that actually, you know, their diet that's going to help them live their optimal healthy life is going to be different. So their expectations should be adjusted accordingly. Yep, yep, I like that. And I guess a uh, segue to some very, very illuminating, uh, I guess, ideas that you guys have shared would be a discussion around some of the most common obstacles that people face with their training and nutrition. So Luke, if you can just outline a couple of the really common sort of training uh, obstacles that people face and like your general framework for navigating that, um, I think that would be really useful for listeners. Yeah, hundred percent. So obviously you're going to have things like injuries. You're going to have stuff like, um, you know, limited time for whatever reason, life stuff happening. You're going to have periods of increased stress where maybe you find training a bit more difficult to execute and recover from. Um, there's even situations where sometimes you go into the gym and it's just so busy. You can't even use the equipment that you want to use. Uh, there's going to be things like holidays and, and special occasions. Um, my, my gym just closed recently because they were putting solar panels on the roof randomly. That was closed for two days and I couldn't go train there, you know, so there's going to be all of these logistical things that are, that are going to come up. That's, that's pretty common. Um, and a lot of it, you don't have a lot of control over, you know, so, uh, I do think that that is is something to recognize. What you do have control over is obviously the the adjustments that you do make to your training and so on. So, um, in that sense, I think that all of that stuff can be handled with a general approach that is based in auto regulation, uh, which is, 
I mentioned before a top down sort of approach where you have a set training plan and everything's very much set in stone. The bottoms up is basically coming in and going like, right, what adjustments need to be made based on what's actually happening in the environment with this like, you know, complex number of variables interacting, a, a biological system and like the world interacting. So those, those are all the common ones that I'm sure everyone's come across, right? Yeah. Um, so echoing what Luke said there, like there's the obvious sort of practical logistical logistics side uh, type barriers. Um, but then beyond that, I actually think the answer to that question, I thought about it for a second then, what are the most common or biggest barriers that, you know, you feel you've observed easily all or nothing thinking and also low motivation because of shitty goals. So all or nothing thinking, as soon as you face a disruption, you know, your gym closes for two days because they're putting solar panels on the roof. Um, you got to get called into another media and you can't have your usual lunch. All or nothing thinking will prevent you from pivoting. As soon as you have deviated from your plan because you're all or nothing, you feel like a failure, you've stuffed up, what's the point continuing? And because you feel inadequate, you've probably had a coach slam you about it too. You're going to be very unmotivated to keep going. This is why people tend to fall, throw in the towel. So the first one would be all or nothing thinking. As far as shitty goals go, this is because people don't know that there are so many different nutrition goals out there. They think that they want to, they know they want to work on their nutrition because they want to improve some part of their health. But all they think about is what they see on Instagram, which is in 2023, it's build or cut. They don't know that there are other nutrition goals like being more flexible and relaxed when socializing, um, being having a better connection with your internal hunger and fullness cues. So I think people get latched onto goals that actually don't really motivate them, but they latch onto their goals because they don't know any better. They don't know what other goals are out there because they've never had someone, you know, kind of break down what it is they actually want to achieve and why it's important to them. So yeah, I think they're definitely the biggest apart from the obvious practical barriers, definitely all or nothing thinking and poorly selected goals. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So if we talk about, I guess, poorly selected goals, because I think this is a big one that has a lot of downstream uh, consequences for people's, you know, expectations, their, you know, perceptions around what we discussed earlier, what they need to do. How do you, Luke, go about, redefining goals and making them more appropriate uh, for someone's given context? The first thing I do is with all my clients is I give them a values exercise. I just want them to identify things that are important to them. And I want them to recognize that they're probably going to be three to five that are most important to them. It's like, if you gave someone a list of values, they're probably going to say like most of them to some extent, are important but there are going to be a few that are going to be most important and those should be the ones that guide our decision making the most it's also important to know that those things can shift over time so it's good to revisit that every now and then so that's really the first thing that i like to do because that's going to tell us okay um you know what are our our ultimate outcome goals so that big picture idea of what we want for ourselves and from there you can then start to break down uh, one of the mistakes I think people make is that they are stuck in the thinking of like, I have to set a, like a smart goal. It has to be specific and measurable and blah, 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 blah. Um, 
but actually in my experience and i think the research bears this out as well is that having more of a sort of vague outcome goal is totally fine because it can help us to just guide the specific behaviors that we want to engage in from day to day or week to week so when it comes to a poorly defined goal i think sometimes it's like what max said sometimes people just kind of go oh well you know the goals are basically you know build muscle lose fat and different varieties of that you know i want to reverse diet i want to blah 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 uh and that kind of sets you up for okay over the next 12 weeks i need to lose five kilos of fat or whatever um it doesn't give much scope to other things in your life uh it, it's like arbitrary in many cases um which can can run into sort of motivation problems and and I suppose it doesn't mean a whole lot to people. So I think starting at that place of identifying key values and then identifying then from those, those, those sort of outcome goals, those, those more sort of superordinate uh, idea that, that sort of ideal version of yourself and then breaking that down into what exactly it means to you. Again, this is trying to individualize it a little bit. Just to use my example of like be healthy before, for some people that is gonna mean, um, you know, losing a bit of weight, for example, being in, in uh, like, let's say someone's obese and they feel like, okay, I need to be within a normal BMI range to be healthy. That's something that's important to me. That could be completely legitimate. For another person, it could mean drinking less alcohol. For another person, it could mean taking more time off work. These are things that are not necessarily like, well, I have to be shredded and jacked, you know? Uh, so it, it kind of individualizes it that way and it makes it more meaningful for people. And then it gives them something specific that they can work on because you break that down again into what are the behaviors that contribute to each of those things, uh, which helps to reorient towards something that we always hear about, which is, you know, process orientation versus having that like goal outcome orientation. So that's where I start from essentially is like the values. Cause that kind of guides everything else as far as the goal setting process goes. And it opens up an opportunity for someone to actually think about those things and express them. I think part of the role as a coach that, that Mac also alluded to is to actually help people elucidate exactly what they want. Cause sometimes they don't know how to articulate it or they, they don't know how to think about it. They've never really thought about it. So that's where I begin. Mm. I love that. Yeah. And I think, sorry, Mac, I'll let you jump in there. Um, no, that's all right, mate. Here you go. That's such an underrated component of like achieving your goals in fitness is having a very, very like solid understanding of your, your values. And my question to you, Luke, is how do you actually know when a client knows what their values are? Well, uh, I think there's an element of uncertainty sometimes with it. Like I said, if you, I actually present a list of, of example values to my clients just to help them think a little bit more about, okay, this could be me. And to give an example of those, it could be things like, or, you know, I really value, you know, uh, personal confidence. I really value spirituality. I really value, uh, socializing or travel or whatever it is. Those are lots of different examples. All of us to some extent value those things really you know what i mean but if i were to pick some that are most important to me like for me spirituality is important but it's like pretty low on the list compared to a lot of other stuff so it's really just recognizing that there isn't a perfect answer to this there isn't like oh yeah i know my top three values do, 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 easy it's about sort of choosing a few that are a priority recognizing that we can't pursue absolutely everything in life at once and recognizing that those those values can shift over time so i do encourage people to take a look at their values again and maybe reorder them a little bit you know every three six twelve months um 
but there are probably going to be a couple that really stand out to you and you go, yeah, you know what, those for me right now feel very important. And it's, I think it's just about having a think about it and then giving it a go and adjusting if need be, and, and just kind of saying like, Hey, there isn't like a perfect answer. <laughs> yep. Yep. Mac, sorry, I cut you off. So if you want to go back to Luke's. Oh, and- good. Oh, good. Yeah. No, I was just going to say like, for me, I just ask questions. I know, I know Josh, Josh Smith, he does a similar thing to you, Luke, where he, he presents like a list of values and clients select their top. For me, I, I tend to just ask a lot of questions. Oh, you want to lose five kilos? Tell me why you want to lose five kilos. What's that going to do for you? Why is that going to be important to you? You know, what? how will your life be different if you achieve this goal sort of thing? Um, the other point I want to make is it's okay to have a general direction. You don't have to be like, I know my values like this, 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 and this. This is exactly the goal. I think the specific part or like having specific goals, I think personally that's a little bit overrated. And I think if you know what's important to you, you can start to work your nutrition towards that. Obviously, it's different if you're like a physique athlete or something. But if you're just someone who wants to, you know, maybe lose a bit of weight, feel better, perform better, um, be more confident with food, have better eating competence or flexibility or whatever. I think a general direction is good. And I'll credit Will Berkman for this one. Um, I remember he was on, he was saying to me, or he was on a podcast or something. He was like, if you want to drive to Sydney to Melbourne, like, let's say you wanted to drive from Fitness First, Bonne Junction to JPS Health and Fitness in Airport West, right? You would just know that you want to jump on the Hume Highway. You wouldn't like be worried about the specific streets that you need to get on once you're in Melbourne. Once you get in that car, the thing that you're thinking about is just getting on the Hume Highway. And I think a big part of that is also applicable to nutrition, like that same idea. You know, if you're just getting in that general direction, you're on that Hume Highway, you're heading towards your destination, you're heading towards JPS. Um, So yeah, I think that's fine. That's what I want to say. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. Okay, so let's quickly divert to the very very obvious but i guess it's not so obvious to a lot of people way that you would deal with the most common issue that people face when it comes to training nutrition for the general population uh client which would be adherence to training obviously there's a lot of reasons why people are not necessarily adherent but what would be i guess your approach to navigating that besides what we've already discussed, like having those conversations and and whatnot. Uh, So Luke, when it comes to training adherence and that being a very common obstacle for a lot of people, how do you uh, approach getting someone to be more consistent with their training? Yeah. I mean, the obvious thing is obviously building into their lifestyle a little bit, but beyond, I'll I'll leave that beyond that, the, the stuff that I think gets missed a little bit is finding in my experience, a good balance between having structure for them and having flexibility. Um, which I think is where nailing that auto-regulation piece is, is really, really helpful and, and, and teaching them about some, some practices in auto-regulation using things like relative intensity, you know, your RPEs or your reps in reserve, as an example. Um, knowing some, some basic exercise swaps if they need it, knowing, you know, that they can maybe making a training split that's easy for them to switch around the days. If they have a really hard day at work, they can do an easier day rather than having like their big leg day has to be on Tuesday or whatever it is. I find those things are probably the most helpful thing. Now, 
having structure is really helpful for a lot of people because it takes a lot of the thinking and the, the sort of overthinking and the, and the unsure, uh, the uncertainty out of things. And so you do want to have some structure so that they can just be like, sweet, all I need to do is rock up and do this plan. However, I think building in a bit of flexibility then also allows them to go, okay, well, if I can't do my entire training session, my trainer said it's okay if I do the first three exercises. Or my trainer said, you know what, we're aiming for four times a week, but three times a week is also really, really, really good. So, um, you know, the fourth session's a bonus. Those sorts of things I've found have made the biggest difference. Um, and that's an education process. You can't necessarily just jump in and, and tell people, okay, we're going to use RPE. And, you know, if you can't do your seated row, just swap it for another pulling exercise or whatever, because people obviously don't have the knowledge of that. So it's our job as a coach just over time to kind of build that stuff in. So I like to use each of my sort of training phases when I first start working with a client, I sort of like to focus on one area of auto-regulation or flexibility that we can use. An example might be that in the, you know, the first phase, I kind of say to them, uh, look, I've given you full body training sessions, which means if you miss one training session, it's not like you're going to miss out on training a whole body part or something like that. Or it might be introducing RPE as a concept for them and just getting them used to using that so that we can continue to build on that later in the future. Uh, that's where the money is as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, so part of that's going to be just the basic education that you would automatically give them anyway, like, oh, you know, a seated row and a dumbbell row are like roughly equivalent and they can be swapped or something like that. Um, but then really work on, on that auto-regulation picture. And there's lots of ways we can we can introduce that as well. Uh, but I find that that's really helpful just to give people the the idea of having a flexible mindset too. Yeah, that's something I'm going to circle back to. And just to, I guess, echo Luke's point, one of the most um, useful tools that I've um, you know stumbled across over the years when it comes to auto-regulating is to give people priority one, two, and three exercises. Like priority one, you've got to complete these. Priority two, yeah, ideally. Priority three, this is like add-on. And then, you know, extending from that, you know, beyond the workout is to within the micro cycle, hey, these are your two non-negotiable sessions. This one's a bonus, you know, so that you're basically lowering expectations in some sense um, to have like a range. Again, it all comes back to flexibility. It's like a range of like, um, hey, this is like what's required to achieve the goals that we've agreed on, but this is like optimal and let's try to, you know, get somewhere within that. Um, I really like that. And I think that's something that a lot of coaches need to employ when it comes to getting people more consistent with their training. Mac, over to you with the nutrition side of things. Yeah, echo you guys again. So I think being able to pivot, being comfortable with pivoting, accepting that and accepting more steps away from your own optimal I think that's a really important thing. Um, in terms of when a client struggles with adherence, probably for me, the process I generally take can be summarized in three steps and they're all two words each. Step number one, get curious. Step number two, ask questions. Step number three, problem solve. Get curious. There's always a reason for every behavior. Every behavior you know, happens for a cause. You know, someone just doesn't decide one day that they're just going to, you know, go and order Maccas for breakfast just for no reason. Like it happens for a reason. So not just writing it off, dismissing it as, oh, you're lazy or this, like getting curious. Okay. Why did that happen? Asking questions. Um, <clears throat> I think another step that you can maybe chuck in there is weighing up the, like how their choice, the pros and cons of their choice. Because if they made a choice that isn't goal aligned or maybe it didn't, 
leave them feeling very good, kind of reminding them of that fact. Okay, well, uh, but not telling them that, but sort of like, how did this make you feel? You know, I didn't feel really good. I was a bit bloated after. So they're kind of, you know, using that experience, reflecting on it, saying, well, this didn't really serve me. Um, and then problem solving is essentially, well, firstly, do you actually want to address this? You know, I think that's a really not assuming that they want to address it. Um, <clears throat> if they say no, then it's about, okay, we'll, we'll work within what we've got. If they do want to address it first, what do you want to do or what can you do next time? Or what do you think you could do instead? Um, asking them, I don't know. Can I make some suggestions? Yes. Kind of, you know, going through a collaborative conversation um, in that way and really remembering to respect autonomy. Um, I think that's a really important, respecting autonomy and being empathetic. I think that's a really important thing when clients are not here because if you use shame and criticism, they're going to more likely not be honest with you. That's when you get clients who, you know, aren't truthful about the indulging on the weekend or maybe they don't even feel they're filling their check-in because they're worried about being judged. They're, they're worried about copying a spray from you um, for, for being a non-adhering client. You're going to bench them or something, whatever. Yeah, I like that. And I think to summarize and start to wrap things up, a lot of the troubleshooting that comes with these obstacles is really a self-discovery process for the client or you know you if you're dealing with these kind of things and actually finding out the root cause of like why these things are happening um and looking internally as opposed to externally um any final comments lads i think that was a very useful conversation i think a lot of people are going to take plenty away from that anything you want to i guess leave people with when it comes to yeah addressing these challenges with clients or the, they face themselves I guess the main thing is, is just like that. This is really what coaching is about. You know, like this is what separates a coach from like a template or AI or whatever it is. So it's, it's worth honing these skills. And I think recognizing that as a coach, it actually takes developing these skills to learn how to ask questions and how to react in these situations. So, um, that's, that's a barrier that I've personally encountered as a coach is just kind of not really knowing how to go about these things. But I like the, the general heuristic that Max got there about like, be curious, ask questions, problem solve. So we're basically being empathetic and we're respecting autonomy. I really like that little framework and, and keeping that at the forefront of your mind as a coach is really what separates, separates you. I think. Thanks Luke. Appreciate that, mate. Right. Um, <laughs> the thing I would probably add is that um, coaching involves handholding. You know, I've heard people say like, I don't want to hold hands with my clients. I don't want to be a babysitter. It's like, well, don't be a coach then. Um, cause you know, being a coach is not being a macro calculator. Uh, we got AI for that now. So if you want to be a coach, then accept that, you know, you do have to hold people's hands. You do have to be a bit of a babysitter and don't get me wrong. That's not always easy and it can be draining on, uh, at the best of times. Um, but it comes with the territory. So you got to love it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you very much for your time. I think uh, people will take plenty away from that conversation. And until next time, folks, we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, folks. Thanks.